Hello, hello, hello! You're listening to Big Easy Ideas, a podcast that features live recordings from New Orleans Entrepreneur Week and builds connections at the intersection of innovation and culture. New Orleans Entrepreneur Week, or NOE as the locals like to call it, is an annual event across the city of New Orleans every March and is a celebration of startups, innovation, entrepreneurship, and what's next. Learn more and check out ways to get involved at neworleansentrepreneurweek.org or noew.org. And now, on to today's episode. Hello, Big Easy Idea listeners. Today's episode is a window into the investor's perspective on the major exits by NOLA tech companies in 2021. As you heard on episode one, 2021 was a record-breaking year for New Orleans startups, with $2.5 billion in realized value coming out of the local startup community. These exit events included Level Set, which sold for $500 million, setting the record for New Orleans startup exits in October of 2021, only to be broken by Lucid a few weeks later, sold for over double that amount at $1.1 billion. In this episode, you'll hear from early investors in those companies who were there at the beginning, sharing their experience from the other side of the table and discussing what they recognized early on in these companies, their vision, the founders behind them, and the teams that ultimately led to great success. They'll also share insights as to what makes New Orleans a fertile ground to continue growing companies with the potential to realize success at the level of Lucid, Level Set, Turbo Squid, and other homegrown superstars. This session at Noe 2022 was presented by Jones Walker, who has been a longtime partner and friend of New Orleans Entrepreneur Week and the Idea Village. In a moment, you'll hear from Paul Stuss, CFO at Kirkendall Management, Jimmy Roussel, CEO at New Orleans Startup Fund, Michael Hecht, President and CEO of GNO Inc., and Asher Friend, partner at Jones Walker, who will be moderating. We hope you enjoy. Thank you all for coming. Uh, thanks to the millions watching on the live stream right now. <laughs> it's really actually incredible to see how, how Noe has evolved. 2021 was quite an incredible year for this ecosystem in New Orleans. You had these historic exits by organically grown New Orleans companies. And, and for those of us involved since the beginning, it's just really amazing. It's, it's remarkable. But you know, the, the constant, if you look at it, is this is how New Orleans does. We, we, we take care of our own. So all those companies, the support, the resources, the encouragement that they all got, it was there from the beginning. It was there from Idea Village. It was there from everybody around the city that was interested in seeing our own succeed. And look, all these companies garnered interest from significant institutional capital along the way. West Coast capital, in some cases, international institutional capital. 
those transactions by themselves were historic. You know, I think one of the things that we, we thought was interesting to talk about is who was there, you know, kind of in the early years? Who was there at that time when that very sort of precious, fragile, delicate, vulnerable moment when, you know, some of these companies go this way or they go this way? You know, some of y'all sitting here or the millions listening in, <laughs> uh, you know, you might be there right now. You might or you, you might have been there before or you might not be there yet. And you don't know what to expect. But, you know, that's what we wanted to try and just talk about a little bit this afternoon is, is tell some of those stories and really celebrate some of the people that were there at the beginning and, and frankly, help it move faster. So maybe with that, so maybe I'll just sort of start with, with Jimmy at the end there. Maybe, Jimmy, you could just talk for a minute about sort of what your story is, you know, and particularly, you know, what you saw in the early days, like with Level Set, for example, what you saw in the founders, what resonated with you, what, what made you believe in the story that really made you want to be there for the ride? Sure. So um, we had the benefit of being the first investor in Level Set. When I first met Scott, he was, he had a great story. And, and sometimes I listen to a lot of pitches and some stories come together in a serendipitous manner. So Scott grew up in New Orleans. He went to Brother Martin. He was kind of a computer nerd uh, at Brother Martin. He went on to SMU, uh, then went to Loyola Law School. And when he got done, he was, you know, both a computer guy plus a lawyer. And his dad was in the construction business. And so after his dad paid 12 years of private tuitions, he looked at his son and said, you're my lawyer for life for free. And one of his dad's biggest problems was um, he wanted to make sure he got paid for the work that he did. And so he wanted to maintain his lien rights. He wanted to file all the necessary paperwork. And Scott said, you know, this is kind of low level legal work that I really don't want to do. And nobody really wants to do it. But if I figure out a way to solve this for my dad, it could turn into something bigger. And so he started doing it for his dad and he kind of wrote an old fashioned web wizard where his dad filled out the name, address, and start date of the project, and he would produce and mail merge letters out to the various property owners. Um, and of course, all of his dad's friends were plumbers and electricians and everything else that went along. And as soon as they heard what they were doing for Scott's dad, he said, I want you to do it for me as well. And that was kind of the, the nexus of the business. And it just happened to turn out that my brother was in the plumbing supply business. And he had all the same problems and he didn't maintain his lien rights. And so when I sat down with Scott, I just saw this alignment of a lot of different problems. It's a huge market. Nobody wanted to fool with it. The contractors didn't want to fool with it. The lawyers didn't want to fool with it. But if he solved it, it was a big problem to solve. And so we got really intrigued by the story. Um, we jumped in early. We managed to circle up about 350,000 of local money to help Scott uh, kind of test his theory. Uh, I would say the biggest obstacle early on was Scott's wife in letting him quit his job as a lawyer and try this out. And, and sure enough, they, uh, they made an arrangement and he decided to give it a crack for about 18 months. And if it didn't work, he was gonna go back to being a lawyer, but it did work and now the rest is history. And so we passed the baton to other investors along the way. And, and so we had a catalytic approach early on, but um, he took it from there. Paul, why don't you talk a little bit about your story with Lucid and sure. what was then Federated Sample, of course, and yeah. with Patrick and what you saw at the beginning. So uh, my involvement with Lucid really kind of came about 
be in the right place at the right time. Uh, in 2010, I had a couple friends who, like me, were looking for early stage investment opportunities in New Orleans. And there was a lot going on in New Orleans at the time that made for fertile ground for investing. You know, we had a lot of people who had moved to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina and invested their time and resources in the city. Uh, we had, I guess, the, uh, the, the mortgage crisis of 2008 had an impact on an adverse impact on the job market and so i think that moved forward a lot of entrepreneurs plans to start their businesses you know we had attractive uh, federal and state tax credits for investing in early stage and technology companies but most importantly i think we had an infrastructure that had developed around new orleans i mean the best example of that is idea village but beyond that there were a lot of other things a lot of other people dedicating their time and effort and resources to supporting and mentoring and developing the talent that was in the city. So it was in that environment where we got a call, one of my partners got a call from Chris Schultz, who was the founder of Launchpad, which is the co-working space that um, Patrick Comer and Lucid, what was then Federated Sample, first set up shop. Chris said, you know, look, I, I, I'm going to be investing in this company. I think you guys ought to take a look at it. Had an initial call with Patrick Comer. Uh, he sent over some investment materials and we uh, had a meeting in our offices. And I remember that meeting lasting a good bit longer than we originally thought. We covered a lot of areas. We covered Patrick's history. He had startup experience. He had worked in the sample business for a while. He had market research experience. So after our meeting, we covered a lot of things. Patrick left and me and my two partners kind of debriefed. And the consensus was something along the lines of, I'm not really sure what he was talking about all the time, but I really like what he's doing. And, that, and that's not to say that, you know, our investment was blind luck. It was real. It really speaks more to just how well Patrick knew this space. He'd been living it and breathing it, thinking about it for a long period of time, and it made it that much easier to invest. So anyway, after our meeting, we made a commitment, and interestingly, our majority partner made the unilateral decision to double our investment, so I've been thanking him ever since. But you know, the, the short answer is, how, how did we get comfortable making this investment? We had a founder who had a clear vision of what he wanted to do. He had a plan of how to get it done, and he had the experience uh, to get it done. So combination of those things made the investment that much easier, and that's how we got started. No, that's awesome, thank you, Paul. So to my right here is the ultimate hype man for New Orleans business, Mr. DJ El Camino himself, Michael Heck. But you know, one of the reasons besides that he's handsome and I like to sit next to him, um, one of the reasons why I, it was nice for, for Michael to be here is there is some special sauce to this. Michael, maybe you can talk a little bit about like, what are the resources here um, in New Orleans that sort of eventually made all this work? And secondarily to that, where's the future? What, what should people be thinking about taking advantage of in terms of resources for the city? Where is the city helpful to make this the place that entrepreneurs want to be, want to stay, want to recruit into, want to move to? Freddie, let me first tell my, my, my Comer Lucid story. So we've been supporting Patrick and Lucid from the Federated Sample days from the beginning. And I decided after about 10 years that I needed to understand what their business did. So I went to an event that they had when they took over the um, NOLA.com space up at One Canal Place and they had this intro video and I thought I would pay attention. And so I watched and it started out with this kind of like zoom in of the globe and it said, you know, some of y'all might've been there, it said, 
Google has cataloged all of the world's known information. And so I was like, okay, got that. And then it faded out, and then it had like the Lucid logo, and it said, Lucid is cataloging all the world's unknown information. <laughs> I was like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> but that's Comer. So anyway, um, I guess it worked. So when, when I look back at where we've come from, I have to first and foremost give credit to Idea Village because what Idea Village did was it didn't drive technical change at first. I think, you know, John, you're working on a lot more of the technical aspects now, like, you know, the need for incubators and accelerators. It was about a cultural shift because New Orleans had a lot of money, but it was third generation money, which meant that when you hit a certain age, your granddad had you sit down on his knee and he said, now don't screw it up. Actually, he probably said it in a different way. So that, that meant you took your money and you invested it in like real estate and CDs. So to make risk-taking socially prestigious, to make it socially prestigious to bet money on companies and to quit your job as a lawyer and do this was really a cultural shift that only could have happened in the context of post-Katrina. And so I think Idea Village through Noe and other things, making it acceptable and actually prestigious to be an entrepreneur and an investor was, was a big deal. Then you had organizations like GNO Inc. coming in and doing some technical stuff. So uh, Matt Wisdom, in the ultimate act of self-service, wrote the first digital media tax credit. Uh, and then GNO Inc. ran it and we've been nurturing it ever since. And it's been uh, a real important you know, part of our, of our, our program. That created something that not only has given companies more runway, but in trying to sell to companies to come here, it's a big fat lure. And what's actually interesting is a lot of the companies that we use DM to sell to don't actually end up necessarily using it when they, when they get here because they find other ways to make their money. But then a third part of it, which maybe has been kind of forgotten a bit to the annals of history was Idea Village and Jane Owen got together and we created the IP building which you guys uh, right over there on Gerard and Magazine. And we put a, a bar downstairs uh, that Robert LeBlanc could, could run where you could bring your dog and drink like a really, really skunky IPA. <laughs> and, um, and we realized that we needed something that was not only gonna encourage serendipity and interaction, but was gonna serve as the physical and symbolic heart of the movement. And that proved to be very important too. And you had companies that came out of that, you know, like Lucid, like Level Set, like iSeats, uh, like Turbo Squid. Uh, Idea Village was there for a while. But it created that, that, that critical mass that was so important. And then so many others, you know, got on board. And so as an indication of that is where we are today. Right before the end of the year, uh, GNO Inc. launched something called Startup NOLA. Because we said we kind of have a problem. We have so many constellations, stars in our, in, our, in our night sky. We don't have anybody drawing the constellations and nobody kind of mapping it out. And so we said, GNO Inc., we're not an entrepreneurship organization per se, but we are an organizing kind of nexus. So you can go and look at startupnola.com and it's meant to really be serving three constituents. Uh, those who want to start companies, those who want to invest in companies, and those who want to sit next to them like Asher. And so, um, and there's a different there's a tab for each of those when you, when you go there. And so to give a sense of what's available today, before I came over here, I printed out from the resource page, all of the different resources that are the incubators, the investors, the co-working spaces and so forth. I was gonna show this, I was looking out on the way over, there are too many, so I texted Matt 
And we have 111 organizations, for-profit and non-profit, that are currently in the region dedicated to entrepreneurship in some way. Right, so and you can look at the list and like 80% of them are legit. And so, which is not bad. <laughs> right, um, and so that. that's strong. And so the point is that we now have an ecosystem, which is not obviously as rich and thick as an Austin or, you know, or a Bay Area or a Boston, but it's legit. There's enough here and it's much more intimate, much more responsive. And the asshole factor is like only at 20%, right? Your, your standard 80-20 split. It's the standard 80-20 split. So I think we're at a place now where there's enough in the ecosystem that it is actually becoming self-sufficient and growing. And I'll, I'll just leave it with this about the flywheel. I was talking to a woman named Lisa Harris. Her husband, who, who's passed away, was one of the founders of Dell. And I said, what was the secret to Austin? And there are many of them. You know, the state decided to actually invest in education. That was their idea back in the 70s. Um, South by Southwest came out of ACL and that became like a brand thing. But she said, when Dell started producing a lot of money, it created a cadre of what they called the Dellionaires. And the Dellionaires became the next cohort of entrepreneurs and became the first venture capitalist in Austin. And that's actually what kind of started the flywheel of Austin going, starting back in the 70s when it came out of TI. So I think we're just a couple of decades behind that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's actually a great point. And thank you for all that, Michael. Just from, from where I look, and again, a lot of us on this, on this panel here have been seeing this for a while, but that's really what's exciting, right? Like, a lot of this was happening beneath the surface for a long time, and while amazing, the public saw the news bites last year, which were incredible. But the exciting thing to me, and I think a lot of other people, is that this is the beginning. This just got started, right? Now it's really, how do we capitalize on this, and how do we, we use this fuel to, to move forward? If you all could speak to a little bit, what do you look for in an entrepreneur? What are you looking for as sort of, you know, the kind of the seed investors, the people that, that make the early jump, the ones that really have to believe you're really buying into people at that point. You're buying into a story. Well, you know, that's a loaded question, probably. I only ask loaded questions. Yes, all right. So, um, look, I think we love niche businesses, somebody who is solving a problem that's maybe a little off the beaten path, but they have extensive domain knowledge. And so there's sort of the typical checklist of things that you would hear about, the team and the problem and the solution and the value prop and all those kind of things. I wanted to highlight two things that I thought the Level Set team did incredibly well early on. One was they established their company culture really early, from like day one. Scott knew his company culture, what he wanted to do, um, and he hired against it, he preached it. It was all about being smart technically, great service oriented. Um, you walked into their office, everybody was wearing black t-shirts with a big Z on it. I probably ran into Scott 20 times over the next five years and I don't think I ever saw him not wearing that t-shirt. The, the Z, by the uh, way, is because the original name of the company was Z. Was Z -Lean, correct. Um, and so, um, and so, but that culture really permeated the whole organization. And you don't see that in a lot of organizations. The ones who are highly successful, that culture was very integral to their success. The second thing that Scott did really well was he was a student of the game. So he was a computer nerd. He was a, uh, a lawyer by training. He knew the, the background of the, the construction industry, but he didn't know anything about starting a software company. And so he quickly started reading about how to start a B2B SaaS company. And he met with tons of people, he got advice from everybody, and he ultimately took his own counsel and 
kind of cherry picked the items that he liked from everybody and turned that into KPIs and what they call their flywheel effect. And that's what they use to drive the business. Uh, but again, uh, he really put a lot of effort and study into that. And you don't always see that with young entrepreneurs. They think they know what they know, but they don't know what they don't know. Um, and the ones that are excellent students of the game are usually ones that work through the problems and, and lend themselves to success. Yeah, and I just echo something that Jimmy said is that, um, you know, domain experience is very, very important. You're not going to know everything. And in the case of Patrick Comer, here was a guy, we as investors didn't know anything about panel companies or how people bought and sold sample or how programmatic trading could play into the whole industry. But what was clear is that Patrick could. So it's, it's that vision and being able to handicap whether or not this guy is going to succeed. And, and, and domain experience and, and um, having tried it before. In Patrick Homer's case, he had another startup that, that didn't go according to plan, but he was right back at it. It's so important. I mean, it is, I know it's, it's probably cliche to say it this way, but like having a strong team, having a strong foundation, that fortifies the whole process, right? From beginning to end, because, you know, when, when we were working on the deal, given how fast those move, how complex they are, how much is at stake, if you don't have that foundation, it can crumble. And, and they were Johnny on the spot the whole time, and they had a great board, and they had a supportive board, and it was just... It was as smooth as the process could have gone. And I think a lot of it, to Jimmy's point, was because of how they started that. They, they, they started with that strong foundation and they just built on that from there on. So we have about 30 seconds left. I don't know, Michael, if you have anything you want to add, but. I just want to quickly introduce everybody to E.B. Potevent, who's over here in the, uh, in the uh, shocking pink pashmina. Uh, she's our innovation entrepreneurship manager. And uh, the point of Geno Inc. is to support organizations like Idea Village, like the Startup Fund, that are making this all work. So if there's a gap in the ecosystem that you think we should be addressing, that's technical, that's promotional, that's cultural, please talk to Evie or myself. Thank you. Thank you all for joining our, our panel today, and uh, we'll be available for questions after, but, but thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Big Easy Ideas. Big Easy Ideas is produced by The Idea Village, a nonprofit accelerator that supports startups and cultivates entrepreneurial talent in New Orleans and the greater Gulf South region. By visiting ideavillage.org, you can learn more about how to turn your idea into a thriving business and how to turn your business into a high growth startup. You can also learn more about opportunities to invest in startups ways to mentor, partner, and support local industry-leading companies. You might also find a job in our region's thriving tech and startup community. The idea is, it takes a village. So visit ideavillage.org to explore how to get involved in the Gulf South's rapidly growing entrepreneurial ecosystem. The music for Big Easy Ideas is by the Young Fellas Brass Band from their new album, Block Party, which is available now on all streaming platforms. You can find the Young Fellas Brass Band on the streets of New Orleans and at their website, youngfellasbrassband.com. That's fellas with a Z, young F-E-L-L-A-Z brassband.com. And of course, we want to give a special thank you to all of the sponsors of New Orleans Entrepreneur Week, in addition to the year-round donors and supporters of the Idea Village, who make this work possible and keep this content accessible to all. And finally, thank you for listening. 
We can't wait to see you down in the Big Easy. Until next time.